Welcome to the MX Vice SMX Review Show uh, with myself, Ben Rumbold, and my colleague, Ed Stratman. We're getting joined by a guest very soon, so yeah, thanks to that. How's it all going, Ed? All right? Yeah, life's good uh, over here in Australia, mate. Can't complain. The racing's good. Um, yeah, the site's going really well, so um, yeah, thanks for having us on again, and um, hope Brad and the family are doing well too, as I'm filling in for him still. Yes, obviously, yeah, Brad Wheeler normally joining us on this podcast, but yeah, so, um, he is uh, still adjusting to family life, although he didn't do too bad because he actually won at the weekend, so that's pretty cool. He is now Laura 92 British Cup champion, so yeah, our regular uh, guest there. We can welcome him back uh, very soon. I think he's going to be joining us next week, so that'd be quite cool. Maybe getting back into the swing of things with uh, two more babies uh, to add, and it was very cute when he brought it onto the podium at the weekend just the two the two twins on the podium so that's a nice picture which i think is out there already <laughs> so yeah just to thank our sponsors before we bring our guest in here so yeah this is brought to you by as3 performance the home of aftermarket motocross and enduro parts from hard wearing protection parts including skid plates and radiator braces to performance cooling parts including silicon radiator hoses and oversized impeller kits as3 also have a huge range of brake clutch and gear levers all with different features and adjustability. Check them out online at www.as3performance.co.uk. And also thanks to Kawasaki Motors UK, who are pleased to announce the arrival of the new KLX 140R range. The easy-to-ride KLX 140R lineup offers a 144cc four-stroke engine, plush suspension, and push-button electric start, making for great trailblazers. The KLX 140R machines come in three different sizes, ranging from juniors' first tentative steps to pushing the door wide open on adult riding. The highly regarded KLX 140R 40R range is ready and willing to add fun and enjoyment in 2023. Please contact your local off-road dealership for more information. Um, we're also fueled by Golf Race Views across sports cars, single-seaters, motorcycle racing and further afield. The Golf brand is associated with winning whatever the discipline. And also thanks to evenstrokes.com. Uh, you can go online and say more British Cup champion 10, sorry, uh, Brad Wheeler 10, and that will be your code for the uh, uh, getting some extra discount there. For um, I'm sure he's going to introduce himself as more British Cup champion uh, Brad Wheeler, but Brad Wheeler 10 will suffice and get you 10% off at evenstrokes.com for whatever you want for your off-road needs. So, with no further ado then, let's welcome our guest here, Mr. Anthony Rodriguez. How are you, sir? Pretty good. How's yourself? Yeah, great. Good to, hear, good to have you on board, sir. Thanks for joining us. And, uh, yeah, how are you? Uh, uh, good getting prepared for this weekend? Yeah, it's been a lot of work off the bike. Obviously, been working on my fitness, which is kind of like my Achilles this season so far. So, I've been doing a lot of that, and um, it's been a long three weeks. So, I'm excited to see what the result's going to be like. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Thanks for thanks for joining us. It's, um, we're really grateful for it. Um, how, how have you found this season? Um, obviously, you've done one on the 450, but mainly 250, obviously. Um, it's been, it's, you've done pretty well, mate. Have you found it a bit of an adjustment going back to the 250 class and on that bike? And um, just talk us a bit about your journey, um, how you got the deal with the Lessies um, team, because I, I read, I listened to a, another podcast a while back, and it was a pretty cool story. Yeah, it's a long story. It's kind of cool. But um, yeah, after three years of being in Brazil and four years of not racing Supercross whatsoever, we do have one arena cross race in Brazil. One time a year, we get one decent track because the guys from England come and build it, right? So um, Alessi was watching me race because Josh Hill was there. And um, he was looking at riders possibly for um, World Supercross. And Nate, one of the mechanics of the team, had told him, hey, look, Look at A-Rod. He might be a good option for our team. And long story short, I win the race, and um, I'm not even celebrating yet. I get back to the pit, and I have a DM on my Instagram for Tony Alessi asking me if I was willing to talk to him. So that's how the conversation started. But it started almost as in, like, a feeling person. 
It was kind of like, hey, we might have a feeling thing for you. If it comes to happen, would you be willing to do it? And I'm like, sure, I'd love to. I mean, I'm racing in Brazil and racing is awesome, but I would love to be either an MXGP or AMA. So with that being said, I went back to Venezuela. I had not been there for seven years. So I went there in November. I think the end of September as well. I was basically two months and I didn't really train much. It had been seven years since I'd seen my family and I was not training. And then, because <laughs> I was only supposed to start my Brazilian season like a month ago. No, not even two weeks ago they started. So it was like I was going to have right. six months to get ready, basically. And then Vince Freeze got hurt. And Tony Alessi coming is like, hey, we need you by yesterday. So it was like, I got on a plane and I flew to um, California and I had two weeks to ride the 250, which I had not ridden since 2018 when I rode for Camille. And um, yeah, everything happened so quick. And then the weather was kind of bad. So we didn't get many days of riding. But um, the results have not been the greatest. But um, I'm working on it. I want to keep this momentum coming because I feel like if I get one full season under my belt, then the following season I could be fighting for top five. At least in the 250 class. The 450 class, a whole different ball game. But um, I think I could be a good competitor there as well. Yeah, you definitely got definitely shown you have the have the skills, mate, on that bike, and um, it's really cool to see you back out there. And the fans must be loving you, loving you being out there. Have you had a good response from them? Yeah, it's been awesome. I mean, people remember me, you know, from my start days in 14 and 15 when I used to get top fives and whatnot. But um, people were kind of trying to call it a comeback. And to me, it's not a comeback. It's basically a whole new career because I had kind of <laughs> stepped away from the sport. Um, in 2019, I had a regular job and I, it just, I had flipped the page type of deal. And then um, I got the Brazil options to go racing and make money and doing what I love. And I did that. And I was training a lot, but I thought I was training a lot. <laughs> It's a lot different when you talk about AMA levels and MXGP levels. I've done them both, right? In, hmm. in Brazil, you only do seven races a year. And um, there's not a whole lot of parts, so you have to manage how much you train and whatnot. Budgets are different. So even though I was racing professionally for three years, it wasn't to the level that it is nowadays. And, like, I'm excited for this new journey. Um, those three years in Brazil, I had a perfect balance of living a normal life and being a professional athlete and still going super fast because I'll be honest, it was yeah. the level and speed there is insane and they're still super fit. Like those guys, mind blown, like especially in their own home really? track. But now doing it at the level that I want to do it is like there's not really time for a social life or whatnot. It's like I'm back to the military program. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So, I mean, that Brazilian series, I mean, what, what are the circuits like out there? Because, I mean, it's been a while now since there's been a Brazilian, and every time I see, like, a surface, it seems like there is quite a bit of, like, sandy circuits, but obviously because of the heat, it's quite hard pack as well. I mean, what are the tracks like over there? Well, it depends. Like, the first round um, last year, it was like a go-kart track. Like, it was super tight, one line only, and it was like, you needed a completely different setup for it. Like, I've never heard of anyone riding a 450 with... 20 offset clamps but i was having to do it so i could turn and it's like <laughs> anybody that's listening to this podcast that's not about dirt bikes or mechanics is like oh you're insane how could you do that well it needed to be done so i could do the 180 turns it was like 180 to 180 to 180 but then you go to some tracks that they've raced mxgps before and then it rains two days prior to the race and it becomes super rotted and rough just like in 
MXGP track. So it takes a lot of skills to be able to ride the different types of tracks, especially the ones where the local Brazilians do the best, which is like that go-kart track. It's like, yeah. you see these guys leaning the bike like there's a rod, but there's no rod. It's super flat. It's like, I see, I've seen this video of Caroli racing over there. I think he stayed an extra week after an MXGP. And the track he was racing, it, it was like the regular Brazilian race. And he was fourth up until like five minutes to go where he was able to pass the first. And that's how different and how fast those guys can go on those tracks. But those same guys in the MXGP the weekend before were like six seconds a lot slower than him. So it's like almost two different sports within the same category. Crazy. Yeah, crazy. Because cool. I grew up in Venezuela. And even though I grew up in Venezuela, you know, it's really hard pack there. But... The hard pack in Brazil is a whole different ball game. It's like seriously, not even an inch rot, nothing. <laughs> Which is I liked it because it was challenging. When I first got there, I didn't know how to ride it. And actually Antonio Balbi was really good with that because you know he used to race American Supercross and also race in Brazil. And he was the one that told me, Hey, I know you're gonna think I'm crazy, but like we need twenty offset clamps. We need to bring the wheels in, shorten the bike as much as possible. And that helped a lot because that's something that if you ask any MXGP rider or AMA rider, like they never go that direction. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's amazing. Have you how so how have you found the transition from those tracks and racing those guys to the two fifty class where they where they can be a bit pretty wild and they don't mind throwing a front wheel in on you, you know, get a bit of contact going. Have you found the transition smooth or has it been a challenge? It was smoother than I thought. I thought it was going to be more difficult because I remember Supercross with ruts, right? Like, you don't get to see that through the TV, but it really is a thing. Like, it's almost like an enduro track where you're jumping and jumping and jumping. And I had not done that for five years. We had arena cross in Brazil, but only three races a year. And we would get aggressive there, really aggressive. And then I'm not one guy to start the problems, but if you start an issue with me, I'll follow up. And I remember even breaking a food pack of to another rider hitting him back because I'm like, I'm, I'll am i be the cleanest rider. But if you hit me, I'm you better know it's coming. But I'm not a first one to strike, if that makes sense. So in that aspect, the racing here in the U.S. is not a whole lot more aggressive than it is in Brazil. It's pretty similar when it comes to that. We are competitive, right? So we are all trying to win, at least to our own goals. What was different was the intensity of the tracks because, you know, I had not done dragon's backs or whoops in so many mm. years that I'm just tense, so I was getting more tired than I should because I'm just cringing to the oh, bike, you know what I mean? But that was early in the season. That's kind of all gone away. Yeah, that's what, just tell us a bit about the the fans in Brazil and obviously in South America. Like back home is the is the sport. Um, obviously, we whenever we post something on Enzo Lopes, like our, our, our social media goes wild with the flames and the Brazilian flag. So obviously, they definitely love it. And I, even though you're not from there, they probably love you too. And um, how about the sport back in Venezuela with um, obviously you're good mates with Lucercio as well, and he's done a lot of racing all over the world like you. So is it is it in a good place in um, motocross South America from your perspective? Yeah, 100%. You know, I think the South American motocross industry is quite big. In our society, obviously every country is a little different, but we're all similar. We all love whether it's go-kart or moped racing, something that is just 
motorized, right? Like Formula One is gigantic in Venezuela and so it is in all South America where in the U.S. you don't see that as much. But um, in Venezuela, the last three, two years, motocross has been growing a lot. I actually did the last round of motocross there last year and I had never seen that many people on a track. It was mind-blowing and it was an awesome track. But when it comes to riders, there's probably only about 150, 200 nationally like from PWs to 55 plus. So there's not a whole lot of riders. In Brazil, on the other hand, anyone can afford racing basically because all of those 150 CRFs that they make for like farms, they're all manufactured in Brazil, even the ones you buy in the US. So they're super cheap and they make this national class with that bike. And then you have brands like Pro Torque that are making very affordable gear and boots and helmets that anyone can afford going racing because it's pretty cheap. And this, those bikes, yeah. they don't break. You know how those farm bikes are. Yeah. And so you go to a track and you might have 200 people just trying to qualify in that one class. And then when it comes to the public, it's gigantic. You feel like a soccer star when you're in Brazil. Like, yeah. Not to pat myself on the back, but I remember going to regular gyms in the city I lived and I got recognized three out of the five times I went, you know, and I got pictures asked and whatnot or going to a mall. Like it wasn't like one out of every five persons, but one out of like every 30 in Brazil, they they love motocross and they watch it and they enjoy it. So it was, it was an awesome experience. It was great to see how they live the sport. And they, the other thing is Yamaha and Honda are like the biggest teams in Brazil. And there's always been this rivalry because there's only two teams rather than you as you have like 10 where people are either cheering for one or the other. And it's like watching a soccer game between Barcelona and Madrid. So it's not just per the rider. It's like a huge rivalry and they choose the color, whether it's blue or red, and they feel the sport like their own. (laughs) Amazing. It is mind blowing. You just don't get that sort of level of brand passion do you i guess in, in in motocross it is you know you see it in maybe a bit in road racing with you know the italians loving ducati and obviously ferrari and formula one but yeah you don't see that at all really in, in motocross which is, is is quite bizarre but uh yeah that's 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 pretty awesome it's uh interesting because like, the last nations uh, in south america was quite a while ago back in brazil i mean i think stefan everett's won it so like gives you an idea of how long ago it was you've got to think patagonia's got to be a contender for a nations hasn't it it's such a good circuit and everybody seems to like it it is it's awesome and um everything i heard from the riders is that they love going there it's a little bit of a trip right it's quite far mm. yeah. but um other than that they they say the track is unique because we all know it's like a gravelly volcano rock on top mm. even though it looks sandy from tv but i think I've never been, but I believe the reason that it doesn't get as crowded as it could, because it does get crowded, but I think it could get a lot more crowded, is because it's quite on a remote area, even from within its own country. So I feel like if they could find a place that is closer to Buenos Aires or something like that, it would be mind-blowing because then you have people from Venezuela, Colombia, and all the South American places flying there and then just going on a one-hour drive to go watch a race Mm. rather than flying there and flying again and flying even it becomes a hassle, right? (laughs) Yeah, you see see James uh, went there, our boss went there, the Argentinian GP, um, and he said that traffic was immense. Like like he said, the place was sort of bulging at capacity. So at Nations, you'd think it would be pretty wild. But, yeah, if they could find a way to do it, it would definitely elevate the sport there. Yeah, because that's Argentina's only. And, like, imagine yeah. if you were in a place yeah. that you could bring all of South America together. Yeah, it'd be pretty cool. I was going to say, you're a big soccer fan. I sort of cover soccer as a, as a second job as well, European football. Are you a big fan yourself, mate? And who did you I'm go for? I'm not a big fan, but I follow a little. Um, yeah. 
more when I was a kid living in Venezuela. Definitely yeah. big time baseball. I used to play baseball as well. Yeah. But um, yeah, more than your regular American, I would say I know soccer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, uh, the Vino Tinto, mate. Go there, there mate. There we go. So you know a lot. You follow it quite a bit. Because Venezuela yeah, yeah, yeah. is great. And for you to know our nickname team, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, there's some pretty cool players that have come through over the years, mate. But um, hopefully uh, they get to a World Cup, the next one. But it's it's so hard in the South American um, qualification. Brazil, Argentina, mm-hmm. Colombia, Chile, Paraguay, it just goes on. But we'll, we'll get back to motocross quickly, mate. And, um, yeah, so what are, what are your sort of your future plans for the rest of the year? Is, um, obviously, I don't think you've got anything finalised that, that we've heard. But um, WSX on the cards or anything like that or just back to Brazil? Or... Well, uh, as everybody thinks would think they all think i'm racing in world supercross with um mcr right because i've been riding with them but this was more of a feeling spot and they've got their riders for world supercross already and that does not count me in and you're gonna see one retired guy coming back to racing for that team for supercross so there's that i'm following up with some other teams um some doors are opening to go do world supercross and um there's another offer also that I might be looking into doing outdoors here in the U.S. So I've got my options open, and um, I'm pretty excited because they all look kind of good, and I can't wait for it because my performance has increased, I would say, by 20% in the last three weeks. And what you guys saw me doing the 450 class, that was with two days of riding the bike mm. and no preparation. And I was still qualified 14th. I think it was like... of a second from like top eight and so speeds their skills are there obviously i have to put all the pieces together from the puzzle which if it was easier we would all be doing it but i'm working on it and um, i feel like i'm this close to making that one big step that's gonna settle my name in the sport like it needs to be that would be fantastic yeah absolutely i mean yeah you can see you've had a decent yeah i mean you got to the main event at Glendale, you got there, which is which was a great result in, in anybody's book. And then just been knocking on the door of that top 10. Uh, is that your main goal then coming into uh, Denver to get into that top 10 a little bit? Uh, yeah, that's definitely that the goal. This next, Getting there would be awesome. I know I have the speed to be between 8th and 10th, but I need to have that speed for 20 minutes, right? So that's the thing that might be a question mark, but I've been working on that. Obviously, it's hard to get super fit when you just get thrown into a season of guys that had three months of preseason. And then, yeah, it's looking good. You guys follow the sport, so you know how inconsistent my career has been. One day I'm racing Supercross, then I'm in MXGP for one team. The following year I'm doing Supercross again. Halfway through the season, I end up racing for Factory Yamaha. Then a year later, you see me in Brazil. It's kind of like I've gone wherever I can find a job because that's kind of the situation I've been put in. But for the first time, I'm kind of just looking into a consistency because before it was like I would go periods of time without a dirt bike for two months or whatever. And so like now I'm in an economic place where I could even just go buy a dirt bike if I had to go riding for at least two to three months. I don't lose that momentum. So things are looking way better than they did way back when. Yeah, it's impressive, mate. You keep at it and you, you sort of keep grinding away and um, take the opportunities when they come, which is uh, the most important thing of the sport. And obviously, when we cover a lot of MXGP, our focus, I guess you could say, and we'd love to get your insights on the on the series. And you, you obviously had that factory Honda and the Kamiya MX2 ride on the Yamaha. So just you've got a really unique perspective because you've literally pretty much raced in so many series and, you know, so many different formats. So I was just wondering what your take is on MXGP at the moment and your time there. Yeah, my time in MXGP, honestly, I loved it. I love the European life, lifestyle. Um, 
I love the approach the teams have for the racing, which is a little different in the U.S. I think in the U.S., they will try to provide you the best race bike they can provide you. And whether you give the results or not, that's kind of up to you. Where in MXGP, they're, they're, they see their riders as a project. So they're trying, at least in my experience with the two teams that I've worked with, they, they were not just willing to give you an awesome bike. They're willing to help you find out a training program that fits you. They're willingly working on trying to fight your weaknesses and strengths to make you the best rider you can be. So it's like when they take you, they take you as a work in project. They take pride in creating a rider better than they were when they entered the team. Um, With that being said, I love that they're doing the Saturday races with points now. But that's because I'm saying it as a public person watching the sport from the outside. I'm not super sure that all the riders are pumped on it. Because obviously, if you're super fit and you're like a diesel machine and you can just go for two days in a row, then you're going to love it. But if you're someone that is really fast for the first 20 minutes of the race and it's kind of just surviving the last 10 minutes, then you're going to hate it. I don't know how the teams are enjoying it because it's going to be a lot more races where you might be able to get a flat tire or not, right? So it's, it's interesting as a, a spectator. I love it. And... Um, yeah, I think we'll know better by the end of the year how riders are going to like it or not, but it seems like a pretty fun format to watch. Yeah, it's certainly been entertaining us. Obviously, Prado's been been absolutely killing it and um, on those Saturdays, yeah. and even Fevra's been doing pretty well um, well. So, But, yeah, what what about um, so, sort of some of your favourite tracks in our MXGP, mate? Obviously, there's plenty of savage ones, and you hear a lot of US guys saying, there's no way I'd be racing on that. Like, that is pretty wild stuff. But, like, even the last, um, you know, that Trentino and the Portuguese one, last weekend and the the swiss one with those mega ruts and then riola before that and argentina like there's some there's some pretty wild tracks out there for for people to look at and you probably we don't get the gravity of it from tv but from your perspective having raced so many of them um what were your favorites and what were the key challenges well the key challenges are how different the tracks can be from one to the other right like you can imagine trentino or Erne and compare those tracks to lomo and it's like it's a different discipline right oh yes so (laughs) those riders over there in europe they have got to be good at setting up their bike because they have all of saturday to do so right you have two 30-minute practices where no one's out there for the full 30 minutes you might be doing 10 minutes and stop and do a change and then go out there and do another change some people have a completely different set of suspension on a different bike waiting for them and they'll go out with one spring set and there's Top and they'll get on the other bike and go riding. And that's because, I mean, it makes a difference. We all hear their interviews and it's like, oh, my bike set up. And we automatically think it was a excuse, right? And it could have been, but sometimes the bike, not only the way it feels is like, it might make the difference whether you can go 20 minutes all out and then finish 10 minutes just at a good pace or go 30 minutes all out. And so I think a lot of it comes to that. I'm not saying that if Febre didn't win one weekend was because his setup was off. That's not what I'm trying to say, but it does help. Where you have some riders in America, and I'm not going to point fingers, names, or anything, and they go to their suspension guy, it's like, it doesn't work here. And the suspension guy is going to be like, okay, what does it do? What, what way do you want me to do? I don't know. Just come watch, and you tell me what you think. 
And then when you like, forget the guys that are top eight might not know how to approach this on a mechanical engineer type of way where I've worked wow. myself with so many different teams that I learned that working with them. And I've seen all the riders come out of the track and be like, hey, we need to add a chance to the top valve in the fork. Like, you know what I mean? Like they know exactly kind of where, which way they have to go. And that only comes from asking for a change. And then that suspension guy telling you, I did this. And then you go out and have a feeling. And then whenever you're expecting that same change, then you can go back to your suspension guys. Like, remember when we did this, I need to go that same way. So props to the GP riders for doing that. Obviously there's AMA riders that are awesome at it, but there are a few that are not. But I think that's one of the biggest thing for MXGP because in AMA you get 20 minute practices and you run yeah. the same day. And a lot of the time people don't know this track. So it's like, you want to utilize these 20 minutes to learn the track. You're not thinking about setup or anything else other than racing. Wow. That is, that is a big difference then. So, I mean, because you've jumped about from bike to bike and class to class. Are, are you pretty good yourself at getting on there and, and sorting it out? Because you had lots of different, uh, well, lots of different experience to fall back on, I guess. Yeah, to answer that question, yes, I've came, I'm really good at that. I've, I mean, I don't know that there's things that I probably shouldn't say with my experience in Kimaya, testing different engines and stuff from different countries. And they choose me to help them doing that. And a lot of manufacturers have come to me to ask me questions. Even back when I was in 2017, I wrote for KTM or 18, that BTO team. And Jordan Smith was on the TLD KTM team. And um, he was struggling in the whoops. And my bike was dialed in the whoops. And I actually rode his bike and I was giving them feedback. And like I was talking to upper KTM people, telling them what was different, what was working and whatnot. So that is a plus that I would say I've learned throughout my career. And um, yeah, it's been good. It helps, obviously. But to answer your question earlier that I didn't, I kind of got lost. My favorite track, I would say, was Portugal when it was the other way around. So I don't know how it is. But and the track that I struggled the most would be Saint Giangeli, I think, in France. Yep. I don't know how to say that name. So so Jean Dangelet, yeah. Yeah. Sorry I jumped yep. back, but I just remember I didn't answer that earlier. No, 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 cool. no, <laughs> no problem at all. <laughs> you definitely, um, with, with your skill set and, and your, your sort of experience, you definitely be a range, a sort of a great asset to a lot of teams, you know, like you, you could probably use that um, when you're putting together contracts and, and just trying to, because obviously teams want to get as much value out of their riders as possible. So um, you having all that experience to bring to the table must be pretty good and hold you in good stead for the future, that's for sure, mate. And um, I was going to ask you, do you prefer motocross or supercross? Do you have a... One you like more? I, a lot of people will think that I prefer Supercross, and I don't know why that is. That's just the feedback that I've had from my friends and fans. But I like outdoors quite a lot, honestly. If you, um, I'm, I enjoy them both, right? Like, I don't care whatever sport you put me in. I'm going to go racing, and I love it. I've even done rally racing one time, like, and I probably enjoyed that even maybe more than motocross and Supercross. Maybe I shouldn't say that, but I do enjoy that a lot. Um, if I had an option... I, I don't know what I would answer. Let's hypothetically say a thing came to me and here's a two-year deal for you to do AMA Supercross and Motocross. And then at the same time, there's a team fan that here's a two-year deal to go race MXGP. I would almost have to flip a coin because that's yeah. how much I like them both. Honestly, there is no one way that I would choose going. There's pros and cons to both series, but that would be the hardest question anyone could ask me. 
that's pretty cool because you hear a lot of guys obviously transitioning to the supercross only you know like max anstey for example and this kind of thing um that's pretty cool to see you, you still love the roots the motocross so um well and that it also depends on what your drive is right because my yeah. drive is i've left everything on the side to pursue the dream and that's being the best person the best rider i can be in the sport whether that's supercross or motocross i have put I have sacrificed so much to be where I'm at. I don't know if it's because I'm smart or stubborn, but uh, (laughs) money is a thing. Obviously, we all have to pay our bills, and it makes you think that what you're doing is valuable. But if I was to take the economics into consideration, I would think any rider would choose the American Series, correct? But with that being said, I'm not that driven buy the money do i need to make a living from this sport and pay all my bills and if one team is offering more money than the other is it going to make a difference yes but when it comes to the series and stuff I'm, i wouldn't just make a decision based on money only yeah that's pretty cool to hear and um before i switch over to ben um we, we spoke to kevin moran's last week and obviously kawasaki give that extra money for the making the 450 mains and he was saying i'd rather not have the money but be happy with my ktm so it's a good it's a good point you make there. So it's a it's a balance between making a living and being happy with the with your bike and happy with the team. And so it's um yeah pretty cool. I'll just let you yeah, go. Yeah, it's, it's a complicated subject to talk about, right? Because right now what I'm doing is paying my bills and it's, I'm living comfortably. But it's like yeah. if I I'm done racing now, I'll probably be working with you guys doing interviews to other riders or something. Like I would need to find a regular yeah. job. You know what I mean? Maybe work for MXGP or AMA or something. It, it's different when you talk to oh, top-level guys that they will retire and not have to work at the end of their life, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're going to be stealing our jobs. It's <laughs> well, you speak really well about the sport, mate. You articulate your thoughts really well, so you definitely be an asset to someone like us and media outlet and um, the South American reach would obviously be a big bonus too, mate. So all the best. <laughs> Maybe I'll be a, uh, a Spanish speaking commentator for MXGP or something like that. Who knows? Yes. <laughs> yes. That's, that's good. I cannot compete with that. So go yeah, right yeah, ahead. There we go. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, uh, I've got to apologise as well for my voice because I've been commentating for two straight days on the side of a hill. So, uh, yeah, if I'm a bit raspy, that's why. And that's why I've sort of given the, the props to Ed to, uh, yeah, lead the questions a little bit more tonight than, uh, than normal. But, um, yeah, just looking at the uh, the SMX review side of it, of course, uh, we've got the, um, the results coming through from Nashville. And, of course, yeah, the big story, Cooper Webb going down there, which is put him out of the season and cost him the title basically or cost him and he shot at it how did you see that incident i mean it was a pretty rough one i mean have you had one like that where you've been hit whilst on the floor and yeah can you picture what he's going through yeah um you know hitting on the back of the head as far as i know it's probably the worst thing that's why it's illegal in boxing yeah. um you know adam hit him in the back of the head i'm sure he did not mean it's no one's a fault right now but um we all thought, whoa, that wasn't really that hard of a crash. Why is he concussing being taken out on the cart? That's probably why, because of the back of the head is sensitive, right? And um, I feel for him. I'm sure he's got it. And um, you could have just saw the video hugging his dad. Mm-hmm. And I've been in that place before. It's like, you don't even know where you are at some times. You might not know mm-hmm. what just happened, 
but you know you lost something. And that was the, the title, you know, like he was really close to it and he was fighting for it. And I'm sure he probably was not sure what happened. He probably didn't know if he crashed in practice Ooh. or race, but he knew he lost something. And you could see that when he hugged his dad. So I feel really got it for him. You know, um, a lot of people have this perspective of Cooper that he's not super friendly or whatnot. And I've been t teammates with him. I raced him my whole life. He was my amateur rival. If I wasn't winning, he was winning. It was like 50-50 time of the races before we went pro. And I've seen both sides of him. And he's a really good guy. Like, he might not be the friendliest because he takes racing very serious. But he's a, he's a really good guy. And I feel bad for him. I wanted to see him battle it out with Tomac all the way up to the finish of the last round. I like Tomac just as much. The guy, he's been pushing the limits. And, you know, for him to be able to do what he's doing, I'm sure he's working his butt off. And so... Did I take sides? No, but I wanted to see about all the way to the checker flag. And we as spectators are going to be missing that. I guess I'll be racing it, so I won't be so much as an spectator. But, you know, looking at the sport from the outside, that's kind of what I was hoping for all the way towards the end. Yeah, it's sort of looking towards going to a bit of a sad climax. Um, obviously, obviously, your mate, you're good friends with Justin Barsha too. And um, yes. you grew up with him a lot, so you'd be sad to see what happened to him too. Yeah, I was super bummed. I, I didn't text him right away because I knew he was going to be gutted. I sent a text to his camera guy because we're super, we're really good friends. So I was making sure he was okay. But I was gutted just because, you know, the last few rounds he's been doing really well. And this is biased comments, not just because he's my friend. He seemed like he got what he was needing, which was maybe the confidence. And um, mm. I just hope that this crash didn't take that away from him mm. because he worked so hard to get it that I hope that we continue to see the guy we saw two weekends ago. I mean, let's put it this way. Midway through the season, more towards the end, he found a way to be competitive with Cooper and Thomas. And he was the only one out of eight guys that probably could have done it that did it. So we all know that's pretty hard and props to him. Not to take anything away from guys like Roxanne who's been doing really good. I'm just saying from this one case in a specific. It's a bummer that when he finally put it all together, that happened. Yeah, since Daytona, he's been pretty much lights out. He's, he's sort of, yeah, you'd probably say he's got better speed than Webb. Tomac level speed, probably Chase is probably the fastest. Raw speed, pure speed at the moment when he's on full tilt, but... How, how was it um, for you seeing him win last weekend, Basha, and um, in that mudder? It was pretty awesome. You always love seeing him celebrate. And he, um, do, you, do you enjoy seeing his vlogs too? He's a pretty loose character, isn't he? It's good for the sport. Oh, 100%. I was waiting for the bike to blow up when he was revving it, and I knew he would go after it. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I've even been pulled over with a guy in the same car, so we go way back. <laughs> but um, he, I was super pumped for him, and I think a lot of people would have loved it as well. I think he has a lot of fans. We obviously know that he's got a few haters as well for his riding style. And just because I'm his friend, I'm not going to mention it. He is an aggressive rider, and he wants to win probably more than the other guys that are not riding like him. With that being said, I've never seen him cross-jumped. And that's what I hate the most. When someone cross jumps, it's like you're playing with fire because that's like that could get us both injured. And I've always seen his blog passes and they're super aggressive, but he's never, I've never seen him take someone fully on purpose. Like when he hit Chase on the mud and Chase went down, it was like, I think Chase could have saved that. You know what I mean? And that was probably Barsha's thought as well. It's like, I'm going to put it in here. 
and there's going to be a room for him to break and not him. If it hits me, it's because he didn't choose to do it early enough. That's my perspective. I'm trying to not be biased, but I love the way he races because he's giving it his all. Yeah, there's no doubt about that, for sure. Yeah, it's I mean, like it, if you go back and you see the Ferrandis and Craig deal after the finish line, you know, like, there was no way out for Craig on that. I'm not trying to talk smack on Ferrandis because I'm sure he's looked back at it and it was like, that was a wrong decision but at the same time it could have honestly it could have been an honest mistake i mean we're making decisions mm-hmm. on a split of a second when some people have weeks to pay their bills so it's way different yeah. you know what i mean so yeah. with that being said i think it's fair to look at it the way I, i'm saying it yeah it, it's such a frantic and, and madcap sport isn't it like you say it, it's just tiny fractions of a second to even just say I'm going to go here I'm going to go there and uh, that's that's the real skill of it isn't it to, to make yeah. those sort of uh, moves to make those sort of moves look easy is never uh, never easy <laughs> yeah. um, I mean with the with the ultimate results there I mean um, Chase sort of gradually caught Eli and managed to, to get the, the win through there and he's, he's still technically in it 18 points back although Eli can clinch it this weekend I mean do you think Chase is going to take it to the last round? I think he's going to try his best he's a really fast guy Tomac has been really fast and really consistent where in other years you would have seen him go 3-2-1-1-2-3-8 where you don't <laughs> see that out of him now you know what I mean so it would be harder for Chase to achieve it but it's not impossible. So it's going to be fun to watch. But we've, like, I already heard Tomac saying the focus has shifted a little bit now that Webb is out. So we know Chase is going to be dealing with the smart guy. So it seems like it's more wrapped than it isn't. And it's, I don't, at this point, I don't think it's up to Chase for him to win it. It's up to Tomac to lose it. Yeah, for sure. Yes. I have done the uh, the points calculations just to make sure that you know we can talk uh, talk in education <laughs> in an educated way about it. And uh, yeah, basically, if um, if Eli wins, it's not over. Um, if Sexton is still fourth or better, then the championship goes on to um, Salt Lake City. Well, so uh, that's that, that's what can happen. Um, but yeah, if he is fifth or worst uh, and Eli wins, then uh, yeah, the championship is uh, going to. Uh, Eli in his home state there so yeah, yeah. Uh, if Eli's second Chase has got to be seventh or better if he's third he's got to be ninth or better so yeah it's um, with how the, the field is now thinning out with all these injuries as well I think it's going to go to the last round personally because I can't see even if Chase has a crash he's got to have a real bad one to be any lower than fourth hasn't he yeah I agree with you I think Chase's speed is for sure a top five ride even if something goes bad I mean we've seen him so I do believe he's going to go to the last round. And I think Chase now mentally is probably at a better spot than Tomek because for him it's just to go out and give it his best when Tomek has a lot of thinking to do, right? So I think Chase is almost in an easier situation. So we're going to see maybe an increase in his confidence because of that and maybe he'll get the start he's been looking for and just right away with it. That's my honest opinion. I think we could potentially see Chase win both next races and maybe not just win them, but make a big gap. Because at this point, we all know, Tomac knows what he needs to do, and we've seen him. He's a smart guy. When when Hurlings went to Ironman, he could have done, you know, I don't know how to say this without saying bad word, but a big D competition against Hurlings at 
you know, Louisiana, and he didn't. He was like, he can beat me. I don't care. I'm going to go after my title. So I think that's the Tomac we're going to see in the next two rounds. Pretty master at playing the long game, you know, just doing what he needs to do. And if he's not comfortable, he'll just, you know, secure a position that's a good points for rather than overdoing it and crashing. So you got to admire his, um, his approach and sort of the maturity and the discipline that he's now got with his riding. And, and the same with Chase. It's good to see him putting it all together after some lots of missteps in the past. And it's pretty pretty making good for the series and heading into outdoors. But um, just a few thoughts on um, Roxon and Colt Nichols and Justin Hill, mate, going three, four and five in, um, on the weekend. Pretty impressive rides again and good to see Nichols and Hill up there. Yeah, for sure. We all know those guys work their butt off. You know, I, I kind of grew up racing them, not Roxon, but the other two. And, um, you know, Colt even went to as far as racing Costa Rica because he didn't have a ride or anything before he went pro. So props on him because, I mean, for many riders – their career would have been done then, and he was stubborn just like I've been lately, and he even won a lights championship. So big props to him on that. And then Justin Hill as well. It's kind of cool. You know, he stepped away from the sport. He became a cub, and then now he's back into it. We all know he's had skills, and um, he showed it. And so I think it goes back to the consistency. You 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 won't see someone that kind of stepped away from the sport and come back in the same year do that great unless you are one of a kind. You're an anomaly. Uh, it takes a little bit of consistency and prepping. And um, Justin Hill has done it faster than I would have thought he would have done it. You know what I mean? So <laughs> props for him on that. He definitely escalated his skills really quick. We also, um, after winning the championship with PC, going to JGR not doing so well. And then not even racing last year, I think it was, when he was supposed to do the PRMX thing. So it was a big question mark. We all kind of doubted him, right? And then for him to put it together and do that well, that's a big statement. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Whenever you're beating factory riders, it's uh, you certainly deserve a tip of the cap, mate. And um, yeah, lots, lots of guys getting season best finishes. Obviously, the field's decimated at the moment. Um, yeah, well, what's your sort of take on all the injuries and just it's just a brutal sport? Do you think the 17 rounds is too many, or do you think it should be more like 14 or 15, or it's just the way it is? But on the flip side, it's great for the privateer guys and the guys on private teams because you know they do it tough. They do it really tough. Thought those guys, don't they? Yeah, I mean, I've never done a full season on 450, so I wouldn't be the best one to answer that question. Um, with that being said, I'm not sure that the injuries have a lot of to do with that because whether the season was 17 rounds or 12 rounds, we would still be running three to four times a week, you know? Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's like, are the tracks a little bit different because you're pushing more and they get rotted and stuff? Yes. But if you see, I think... Not that many injuries came from the racing. A lot of them came from training. Mm. At the same time, I don't think anybody is going to see Supercross becoming less rounds. It's just too good of a series for it to change. And then you have the 250 split both ways. So I think the format they have is really good. I think for the 450 riders, it becomes a long season. And I'm sure they would enjoy it. They would get at least one weekend off each month. Each month, like every month, at least one weekend off, you know, it would make the series a little bit longer. But then my opinion, and some people might not like it, is the outdoors, they already took two rounds out, I think, but it was just to add the SMX ones. Mm -hmm. I think the outdoors one could get away with being seven or eight rounds. And then Supercross could be pushed to July or whatever. And that's my opinion. I'm sure there's some people that agree with it and some people that don't. And going back to the injuries, unfortunately, yes, there's like eight or seven guys that are out from Supercross. 
including people like Beans Freeze. But like I said, they, they got injured even before the season yeah. started. So that's why yeah. I don't think that making less races would change that aspect of the injuries. I was going to say, it's a pretty good insight you have there, mate, uh, being a rider, because yeah, a lot of lot of people um, are calling for things like the 250 to be one class and yeah, less less racing. But you know that the people making the, you know, promoting the sport fell, they, they want more Supercross probably because it's a, it's a good money spinner and the fans love it and it's um it is comfortable for fans because if you know if, say we were taking wives and girlfriends to a motocross race and um you know the facilities aren't quite what they are like in a stadium it's it's a little bit different it's obviously over there it's super super hot um you know you got to th- deal with things like toilet paper and portaloos and some of the ladies um you know probably don't like that as much as us blokes so Supercross is definitely fan-friendly, and it's probably what you want more of in those controlled environments, isn't it? Yeah, um, 100%. It's more friendly to take your girlfriend to a Supercross than it is to take her to an outdoor where it's super hot and sweaty and dusty. <laughs> so, yes. But um, the whole idea of joining the 250 class, yeah. I'm against it because of good points, I think. If you look at the MXGP, they have the European MX2 class, right? So that is a big thing for riders to make it into the MX2 class. I think the MX2 class age limit should be pushed back to either 24 or 23. I think 22 is too younger, but that's a different subject. What I'm trying to say with that is you have basically three classes in MXGP, right? We just don't get to see the Euro classes too much because they don't get advertised as much in America, but everybody over there knows it. Yeah. In America, if you were to take the 250 classes and put it together, the damage you would be doing to the privateers that can only drive to the East Coast and not ride to the West Coast is quite big because a lot of these privateers are spending their parents' money or their pocket money because they're 17 or 18 or 19, and they see it as an investment to hopefully make it in their dream and their career and their life. And then you would have teams like Star Racing not hiring five guys. They would only need three tops. So you would be taking a lot of jobs away from the industry. And at the end of the day, it wouldn't be a better race to watch on the TV because you only need two guys battling to show it on the TV, right? And when you're watching it on TV, you're watching whether it's fourth and fifth fighting or eighth and seventh fighting. You're only watching one fight. And if you're at this race at the stadium, you're probably watching the the battle you pick. You're going to pick one battle, even if there's three of them going on, and you're going to follow that and joining those two classes together you're going to have people fighting for 12 spots like if it's a fight for the podium but nobody's going to be watching it so that's where i'm like i don't think there's going to be anything good out of it other than you might have different winners different weekends but there's still going to be battling going on yeah 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 sure there should be a commentator there where you've got to highlight and find the battle. Yeah, right. <laughs> There's a battle over there. There's a battle over there. That's what I was doing all weekend. <laughs> it always seemed to be fifth place. I don't know what it was. There was always a mad scrap for fifth place in like every single race. I don't quite know what it was in that, uh, in that event I was at. But yeah. So yeah, I mean, that's the uh, the 450s. And uh, yeah, in fact, it's just doing you know, a little calculation there that uh, I think if um, basically Termac can be fifth twice, and even if Sexton wins both, that Eli is still champion. So that's he's got to have a bad one, hasn't he? But yeah, who knows? Who knows? As uh, as we saw the weekend, anything can uh, can happen there. Um, like last time we did this, I was all excited because an Englishman won, and right now they have got an Australian champion. One is down, 
the other ones will follow, I think. Yeah, it should be a good good fortnight for the Aussies, mate. Um, yeah, he's definitely been the premier rider in in his class, hasn't he? Um, he's he's just right. He's just so good to watch. He looks, he makes it look easy, so precise and um, technical, and he does those little nuances which you'd be um, all aware of, a eh, Rod. Like he's just a really measured and his approach he's quite intelligent the way he attacks the race and he doesn't do anything stupid and it was good to see this the speed of jordan smith on the weekend but it's um yeah it's a culmination of a lot of hard work seeing hunter win that win that title obviously he's been in europe and he's done it the hard way a lot of injuries um big effort by the family to get to where he is today so um what are your thoughts a rod on hunter and just um yeah the, the racing in general on the weekend in that class yeah i was really impressed with hunter because um, one thing is gaining fitness or general speed, and another thing is getting to gain talent. That's not something yeah. you can learn. Yeah. And I'm not saying this that because we used to think Jet had more talent than Hunter, but that's kind of how it seemed in the past. And Hunter, this year, he didn't only get faster, fitter. He also seems like a more skilled dude. Like, mm. he's just owning it. Like, he knows what his dirtbag is doing, and... He's also being really smart. Jordan Smith was in front of him. And from what I was seeing, Hunter was like at 95%. He wasn't really pushing the issue. He wasn't like, okay, if I have to finish second and win my win my championship, that's what I'll do. He wasn't really – he was being smart. And then we saw Jordan made a mistake, which I was bombed on because, as you guys might know, he was like my MTF neighbor for many years, motorhome to motorhome. So I wanted to see him win because I know he's worked really hard. But, um, you know, he made that mistake, handed it to Hunter, and Hunter knew how to take it and do it well. And the one thing that I always knew Hunter was pretty smart when it came to racecraft, I've battled him before multiple times in MNGP. I mean, that guy knew how to manage his energy and technique all the way to the checker flag. So I really enjoyed when I raced against him because he was aggressive. You could hear where he was coming, but it was clean. And it was an honorable thing to do against him. I wish I would have battled him in Supercross. But that's not something I get to say. I only get to say I've battled him a lot in MXGP. Yeah, it's pretty cool. You heard that James Stewart <laughs> saying um, his dad used to say when he crashed, when he crashed, he just ran out of talent, son. So, yeah, I feel what you're saying there, mate. But, um, yeah. yeah, it was good to see Jordan. And he's, it's you feel the same, you know, guys like Smith and Thrasher, like they're just so fast. Like their speed's excellent. It's up there just the maintaining it and, and maybe avoiding those little crashes and yeah they could be title contenders for sure and um what about sort of joe shimoda good to see him getting on the box um super talented rider um good to see a japanese guy doing so well and he's just um he's a really really sort of clean smooth rider isn't he it's good to see him doing well yeah it's awesome to see him do well he's very charismatic as well and um i mean akira narita was good in motocross but nowhere near as good as Joshi Mora is being nowadays so it's pretty cool to see an odd country do that well um what impressed me the most was how much of racing he missed and he kind of just got thrown mm. into the middle of racing those guys had already done like six or five races they were already in shape and he just fit right in he did not start with an eighth and then go to a seventh and then just get better you know he already started like in the top of his game so that was pretty impressive. Yeah, straight into fourth after yeah six rounds and straight into fourth at East Rutherford, um, in in a an East West as well. Well, it's, it's um, sorry fourth at Atlanta in the uh, in the uh, East uh, East class there. So yeah, great um, 
great to see Joe up there. And he, he kind of kind of talks how he rides as well, isn't it? It's like that just sort of measured way and just such a such a Japanese style almost is that that sort yeah. of controlled and doesn't always look out of out of control. And uh, yeah, he, I mean, he doesn't even seem to make too many super aggressive moves, which is uh, is quite a strange thing in the sport, really. One hundred percent, I agree. And um, you know, I I don't know how young he was when he moved to America, but um, something I've been taught, and I don't know if it's true, is that Japanese people are the most disciplined people you can meet. Whether that's creating a computer or doing whatever it is that they do, they're just the most disciplined persons in the world. So I'm sure Joe is applying that to his career. Who knows? Maybe I'm super wrong, and all he does is play video games, and he just super talented. That's why he's that fast. But with him being that good, I've I've got to assume he's got to be very disciplined. With I mean, you just said it: six races of not racing, and then right away fourth. That's something that's not that easy to do. Like some people are easy at getting back into shape after an injury, and some people it takes some time. So I would think that even if he, I don't know what his injury was, but I'm sure that if he was a leg, he was doing a lot of cardio using his hands or whatever. Or if he was an yeah. arm, he was probably cycling a lot. Yeah. So props to him on that. Yeah, he looked, he looked very good. And obviously, we got to move on to Hayden Deegan. Um, the guy's been super good. You can't really knock him. He's his speed, it's not just his one lap speed, it's his consistent speed. And I've done some stuff on the site uh, a while back just saying like his lap times, they just really don't change much at all in main events. And it was sort of the case this week. And really just, he just keeps pushing, keeps pushing. Um, just a lot of talent and obviously he puts a lot of work in because his level doesn't drop. Yeah, and that's very important for him because when you're a rookie, you're in unknown waters. And it's a fine line between getting confidence or getting your confidence completely destroyed. And with him winning so much as an amateur, then going pro, as good as he went, is as bad as he could have gone as well. But he did all the right things to go in the positive way. And he gained the confidence by getting good results, not being afraid of putting it to the other guys that are more mature in the sport, let's say, and being mature about being able to go that fast for that many laps. But one thing that impressed me the most was that I watched them race the amateur, uh, the amateurs futures race at A1. Yeah. And I wasn't that impressed. I mean, he was good. Obviously, he was really good. But he was not the guy that we're seeing nowadays racing. Like something mm-hmm. he did differently, something in the training grounds that made him become a much better rider than he was that one weekend. Or maybe he just got rid of all those jitters of racing inside the stadium. And maybe that's what helped him a lot. Regardless, that's what impressed me the most. Because if you would have asked me after watching that Futures race, hey, you think that's going to be a guy fighting for podiums on the East Coast? I would have said no. He's going to be a top eight fighting for top fives on a good night. But he proved us wrong. He improved and he's done a lot better than we we expected. Yeah, it must must be good for him, obviously, at Star Racing, which you, you know, very familiar with the team. Um, how, how good is that program? Because obviously the guys are training with each other, you know, testing themselves against each other. It's a very competitive um, sort of borderline cutthroat environment um, to, to really, you know, cut it sort of cuts the fat. You know, if you're not good enough, you, you're not staying there in a way. And it's, it's a pretty brutal environment. Do you think that's obviously um, played a key role in where he is now? Yeah, that's definitely helped. And like you said, that program is definitely not for the weak-minded. I mean, you go out there, and I'm sure they're doing three to four days a week preseason, and every day is like a race day. And there's five of you out there doing a big D competition, trying to get the fastest <laughs> time and whatnot. 
And I think um, if you're a smart guy, you don't fall into those games, yeah. right? You you find your own limit and you focus about yourself only. But that one smart guy in this industry is probably one out of five. <laughs> so everybody yeah. else is out there just trying to be the fastest because that's how competitive it is. And, you know, it could be hard because if you're consistently the fifth guy among them, you feel defeated. And um, you might be a podium guy on the weekend at the races, but every week throughout training, you're, you feel defeated because you're getting beat by people that are on, on the same equipment, doing the same tra- uh, training. You go home and it's like, what else can I do? I'm sleeping my nine hours. I'm doing my X amount of cardios. I'm eating healthy. Like, what else can I do? Why are they beating me? So it, be- it could become a mental fight. And you get so comfortable on that program of going so fast that you kind of forget limits. And I hate to say this, but maybe that's one of the things we're seeing with Thrasher or Jordan. And I like them both. I grew up with them. They're, I would take them to dinner anytime. They're, I would call them my friends. But maybe that program could be part of the reason they could be crashing every now and then because in their mind, there's no limit because you, you just get so comfortable with it in training that it kind of disappears. Now, I could be 100% wrong because I haven't been in that program since 2015 and they might have changed things. Maybe they separate them and maybe they don't train together like we think. I don't know. That's my perspective, my point of view from an outsider. I don't, I can't tell you 100% that's what they're, they're doing. I can't tell you that every day their training is a race day. But if it is how it was, then this is my honest opinion, what I think is going on. And it definitely helped Deegan because it helped him find that speed that we're all seeing. So like yeah. I said, it could help one guy and it could break the other. You never know. Yeah. Well, maybe that could, that sort of syndrome could be affecting the pro circuit team because they're constantly hit by injuries. So maybe they have the same sort of issue where they are just pushing it that much they forget where the actual is limit is like you say there could be a, a possibility for that sort of thing happening as a there's like a pandemic in that team isn't it it's been crazy really and I feel yeah. bad from the outside like you do you do because I mean it's yeah. it's an iconic team you know they, they've been going now like yeah for it's what 30 years since they switched from the old peak Hondas which I loved so yeah. much when I was a kid to uh, to the pro circuit Kawasaki and, and they're still there and uh, obviously yeah such a professional outfit it's just such a shame to see them hit so badly but um, yeah it's quite quite intriguing there I mean I, I, my thoughts on Deegan were that he seems to have risen to the occasion he's like he's he's in there I mean he's obviously used to the public eye you know with all that's gone on before he even turned pro I mean I've, I remember videos from him on a, a peewee 50 that's just just racing around and this that's Deegan's kid and it's like whoa you know um so you know he's always been in that public eye and I, I feel like he's risen to the occasion and even even at the weekend he, he's, he figured that he's the guy he's the only guy that could be champion apart from Hunter um and even then I felt like he rode harder as a result you know, he's like, actually, yeah, I could be doing this. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just that mentality where he's he can step it up, which, uh, yeah, is, is something that not everybody can do. Yeah. Yeah, so... I'm going to quickly add on the, on the, you know, the training at Star, and um, obviously we spoke, we've spoken to Levi and Styles recently, and they were saying, yeah, it's it's pretty... Um, it's a good, it's it's good for pushing, you know. But um, but they were also saying Guillaume Ferez, the the young Spanish guy that's going to be racing outdoors, um, who we sort of know from AMX over here and a little bit of MX2. 
they were saying they were like sort of envious of the stuff he does on the bike. Obviously, grown up in a very different environment in in Spain and whatnot, and obviously done some work in in various other tracks. and And he's just a really well rounded rider. They were saying that some of the stuff he does, it's crazy. But um, and then you flip the coin and you look at a guy like Cooper Webb, who's obviously not the best in training, and you know Christian Craig and AP are regularly faster than him. And and then he just he's a Sunday man, isn't he? He's like some of those road racers. You know, they might not light up the qualifying, but you know, like a Brad Binder or something in MotoGP, they. They, when, when the gate drops, they're on. And even in yeah, practice, it's just like, oh, way off. Like, you're probably faster than Cooper Webb in practice, mate. You know, like, it's crazy how they flip that switch, isn't it? Yeah, it's insane. And that's where he needs to be really smart. And he doesn't let it get to him, you know, where mm. there are some people that it gets to them. And I kind of put myself in the middle category. I'm in between. It depends on the day. Sometimes if someone's beating me, I lose focus on myself and it's like, I got to beat this guy in this practice. Right? And that could be a good thing, but it's not the most beneficial. You just got to kind of focus on yourself and props to Cooper for doing that, like you said. And then, you know, Steve Lansom way back when he was my team team manager at Star Racing and he told me he would beat McGrath at the practice track day in and day out. And then there was not one race he would beat McGrath at other races. So... It's very different. You just gotta you gotta put your head down and focus on yourself only, which shouldn't come from me because sometimes I don't I can't do that when I'm fighting against somebody in the practice track. But I know that's what needs to be done, and I try to do it. It's just not that easy when you're putting yeah. everything on the line for one goal and one goal only, and then one guy comes and beat you. It's hard not to acknowledge that, but sometimes you just have to. Yeah, it's sort of like you feel like you're giving away something if you're not, you know, the alpha out there at, at all times. But to have that sort of mentality to separate um, training from racing, yeah, definitely is a benefit, but it's easier said than done. So well said on that, mate. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> nice one. And, uh, yeah, just a brief mention, of course, yeah, Max Anstey won the previous round there at, uh, at East Rutherford and, uh, and came through with uh, what was eventually um, a um, fifth place. So, yeah. Not so bad, and he's having a good season right there up in third place and still with a chance of getting second in the series. Yeah, I was super pumped on him. You know, um, he's a super humble guy. My first year I went to MXGP, he was, you know, big star, big factory guy. And he would still talk to me and be nice at the practice track and whatnot. So I give him props on that. Um, when I watched the race, I knew he'd be good. So obviously in England, you guys get a lot of rain. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was awesome watching him. And I almost had a heart attack when Jed almost passed him those two mm. times. I got the heart attack the first time, and then Jed took the goggles <laughs> off and gave me a little breather, ending all the way to this last turn. I'm like, oh! I'm like, Jed, you've won a lot. Let this guy just have this one. <laughs> so it was a nerve-wracking race to watch. I was super happy for him and also for his team. You know, I know the engine builder. I know the cruise ship. I know Jerry very well. And, um, I mean... One of my best friends is their engine builder. So I was super pumped on that. They have their shop across from MTF, which is where I spend 10 years of my life, basically. So I was super happy. I was super pumped on them. Nice one. Yeah, I was with you on the heart attack on the last call there because uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was I was actually watching it from because uh, I was commentating on a, a British championship that day, so I just watched it after waking up. I uh, just wanted to catch it, and I managed to catch the whole main event. And I was just literally people walking past my tent, going, "What is going on in there?" Because I went, "Yes." Yeah, I was so yes. shocked. That the RJ whiteout wasn't that even that surprising because I had already released all my energy. Like yeah, yes. the whole yeah, I thing, I should have jumped. And scream when I saw it happen, but to me it was like, oh, okay, because it just happened right after I almost had a heart attack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, 
awesome. Um, so and, uh, with uh, with time ticking down, there just got the uh, the the West. Uh, obviously, your race is coming up this weekend. Then uh, up uh, the, sorry down in, in Denver, Colorado, and um, high uh, high altitude. What's uh, what's your thoughts? What's your experiences so far? So it was many years ago that I raced Colorado. I was much younger, and I didn't feel the altitude sickness or anything like that. So I'm not afraid of it. I also grew up in Venezuela at high altitude, so I think maybe that's where I get a little bit of a benefit. But it's also been so many years since I moved, you know, like maybe that doesn't play into it anymore. But in my mind, it does. So I come into it with a little bit of confidence. So I'm not super scared of it. And um, I'm actually really excited because, like I said earlier, I've been riding – not as much as I would like. Um, I've been only riding like once a week, which I would like to be doing three times a week, but that's another subject. But um, I've been doing a lot better. And so I have really good speed and I'm hoping that I get to show it this weekend. One thing that I'm not super pumped on is being on the B practice because you get like yeah. four good laps and then you're running into lappers. And that was one thing, like when I raced Glendale, I was like, man, I qualified 0.8 away from top eight. I wonder what that would have been on a fresh year track. You know what I mean? Because yeah. we get a worse track. So I'm super excited. At the same time, I don't want to be a flop. I want this <laughs> to work. I want to. I want to live up to what I'm saying. So you obviously, um, with with rides not secure, it'd be a good place to put your put yourself out there and put in a real good performance. Sounds like you you've done the preparation, you've done the work, and um, maybe this is the uh, this is the time for you, mate. You expecting yes. the top ten at least. Yes and no, because I, I hope I get a good result. But um, oh, everyone in this industry thought that I was going to race for MCR when it came to World Supercross. And I knew it wasn't for sure, but I thought it was going to happen. Now that I'm not doing World Supercross, it kind of came in a late notice. And all the teams are kind of full. And they're like, what? What? <laughs> like, I wish you would have told me a month and a half ago. But, yeah. So, there, like I said, there's some people that I'm talking to, but to answer the question, I'm not sure that the result is going to help me find a ride for World Supercross. But I'm still going to give it my best because, like I said earlier, this is personal to me. The reason I do the sport, and I've done it after so many injuries and so many difficulties and different series, is because it's what I love. This is what I live, breathe, and sleep. And... It's also the results of the race is what make all of this worth it. Like my family giving up time with them since I was a child. I'm going seven years without watching my brother. And it's not like I have a loving family at home that would have loved for me to be with them. And I choose not to, to pursue a dream. So it would only be taking the easy way out if I didn't care about the results because this is how it all gets paid back. Yeah, mate, a lot of respect for doing what you're doing. You're definitely a trailblazer back home. I'm sure, you know, there's a lot of people that want to follow in your footsteps now, so you should be proud of it. Yeah, no, I mean, 100%. I'm I'm super happy with what I've done. If I was to quit the sport now, which is not something that I'm thinking by any means, I would be happy with a lot of the things I've done. I think think I'm the only South American rider to ever top five in MXGP. And so, like, just with that, I'm super happy. Like, I've done so much in this career i mean top five ama supercross motocross mxgp i'm happy that i get to say that and like i say in a selfish way that's kind of what why i've done this for is to be able to say to myself not out to the world like my dedication discipline and work was good enough for that weekend to be the fifth the fifth best rider in the world so like that's kind of what i work for and i think i'm the only guy that's backflip and done those things yeah 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 (laughs) 
Was that when you were working for the coffee company with the alcohol in it, yeah? Yeah, yeah. That's when I fully <laughs> stepped away from the sport. And um, that was one thing I always wanted to do. And that actually ranks so high up in my achievements because <laughs> it was probably the scariest thing I've ever done. And McNeil teach me, your fellow Australian. And I told him, there is no way that anyone in earth has committed to doing a backflip with the level of fear that I had. I should not have done it. You're supposed to do it when you're like 100% confident you're going to do it. And I only did it 10 times with the foam pit in a period of two days. And I was, like I said, I think the best way to put it is I was the scariest person to commit to doing my backflip. Amazing. Amazing. I, I, I can't even imagine that. Oh. I mean, I've done an unintentional knack-knack once in my life and that was enough. You know, flying <laughs> through the air with one leg, the other side of the bike was just, what the hell's going on? Oh, most but um, good, really quick, to go back to that, is like <laughs> I could see back and say all those things, but I still feel that I haven't reached my peak. And so if I was yeah. to take away, if, if I was to go away from the sport now, I would feel like I left some undone businesses. Yeah. You're only what, 27, 28. So you could, you 27. know, 27. So you look at Brayton, you could have another 10 years, mate, especially with things like World Supercross in Brazil. And you can come race Australia Supercross down here. Max Anstey won the 250 class last year and Brayton winning it. So there's options, mate. That's 100% right. And I always look at Caroli and Brayton. And even one guy that you guys haven't heard him forever is probably Carlos Campana. He was yeah, like, yeah. racing in, like, racing in Spain racing still. In Brazil. I mean, he used to yeah. be factory Yamaha in MXGP and got podiums. Yeah. And in Brazil, he's 38, 37, something like that. And the guy's sprinting on the last lap on a Sunday after four motors of 30 minutes. It's like, it's doable. And yes. also... Those three years that I was in Brazil and the one year that quit, like I was living a good life. I had a perfect balance. And so I'm by no means burned out mentally. So I feel mm. like this is almost a fresh beginning. I could go for another 10 years and I could go about it on a military type of way because I know what both sides of the world are. And right now I don't want to do anything else other than train, train, train and train more. Awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, just one last thing to uh, ask you there before, uh, well, to, to mention before um, I let you go to your two-hour bike ride that you said you had to uh, get fitted in today. So, yeah, I'm not going to deprive you of that one or let you off that one at all. Um, but, yeah, of course, uh, the, the chance is there for Jet Lawrence to clinch the championship. Um, and, yeah, the basic set on that is that uh, he has to finish, if he finishes 10th or better, regardless of what RJ Hampshire does, then he is champion. Um, so, yeah, if he finishes 11th, 12th or 13th and Hampshire wins, then, uh, or sorry, 11th or worse and Hampshire wins, then then it goes on to the last round. But, um, yeah, you think he's going to get it done? I think so. I mean, at this point, RJ can't win it, but Jed can lose it. Yeah. It goes back to what I said about Tomac. It's like, basically, Jed could just line up, start, and just ride around and get it done. <laughs> and I'm sure he knows that i'm sure there's a big bonus check in play so i'm sure he'll be smart about it as well uh, at this point i think he's only going to win that race if he gets a good start and he's feeling comfortable but there's no chances he's going to risk the slightest of losing that title yeah absolutely great stuff okay so yeah we're coming uh, towards the end of our time Ed. i wish you got anything more to add no, it's just a great it was definitely a great chat mate we'd definitely um love to get you back and even yeah, chat regularly about MXGP as well because it looks like you got your finger on the pulse of everything motocross, mate. So, um, yeah, thanks for joining us. It's been a bloody good chat. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. I always, 
appreciate having these interviews because my time goes by and it's just like we could keep talking like it don't matter but yeah really good yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> that's how fundings are for me and yeah i love to be back whenever you guys want just let me know thank yeah, you for love you so it's awesome to get to tell my story and be able to tell people how it all has been because i think that's a little bit of what the sport needs so yeah. that fans can connect with the riders to another level and become more attracted to the sport rather than just seeing a helmet jump around. Yeah, yeah we sure. only really scratched the surface of your career, sort of, you know, like move. I think you left home at 14 and these kind of things and, yeah. you know, go to America, the MTF, like it's an intimidating thing to do. But, yeah, I think we're on a time schedule, but that's for another pod, mate. <laughs> Sounds good, man. Appreciate your time. <laughs> I'll see you guys around. Yeah, great stuff. So, yeah, thanks to uh, everybody listening to the MX Spice uh, SMX Review Show. This one with Anthony Rodriguez. Uh, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed your company, Anthony. So, yeah, fantastic. And uh, maybe um, you'll see uh, where we're both of us in our home countries if you do end up uh, doing World Supercross. That'd be, That'd be awesome. awesome. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll come and shake your hand and show you around the, the sites of Birmingham. Uh, if you're to, uh, Or Birmingham, as it's known over here. So, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah thanks to all our sponsors again Kawasaki Motors UK obviously with their new KLX 140R lineup uh, Golf Race Fuels across sports cars single seaters motorcycle racing and further afield uh, the golf brand is associated with winning whatever the discipline with AS3 Performance who stock a huge selection of aftermarket motocross parts available for the 1980s Evo two-stroke models to the current four-stroke bikes and of course yeah even strokes don't forget to go to evenstrokes.com uh, for uh, your 10% discount just to quote Brad Wheeler 10 and uh, you'll get 10% off of all your uh, needs uh, in the UK. So, yeah, thanks again, Anthony. Been great to have your company. Thank you, Ed. Thank you, guys. Appreciate and, it. Uh, we'll um, speak again. Thanks for listening to the MX Vice SMX Review Show.